Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello, I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy. And once again, here with Richard Hill. Hi, Richard. Hey, Matt. Fantastic to talk to you and see you again. This is really good. Now, because uh, we've got, we've got a... a well, it's not that we're doing something different, but we're doing something different um, <laughs> in the sense that we've got these two experts, uh, <laughs> we've got these two people in to talk about some really interesting stuff, but it's us uh, yes. because we we wrote a book. I'm sure people are pretty <laughs> aware of it. But what we want to do is we want to go through a lot of areas of the book because, of mm. course, since writing it, uh, there's a lot more knowledge and things that we've gained. So we want to talk framed around the book, what's going on, and we're going to talk about a subject that really is one that sits most comfortably with you. What are we talking about today? So today, so we're going to start from the start, um, which sounds like a good place to start. <laughs> and, so, and so we're going to talk about um, the left and right hemispheres of the brain and uh, how they differ from one another. And we just want to highlight, you know, some of the recent work of Ian McGilchrist, who's done some amazing work um, looking at the left and right hemispheres. There is always so much more to learn. And once again, you know, we've got our book, The Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy, with a lot more detail um, that you can dive into. And in the notes uh, for the show, we'll also leave you some other um, references and places you can go to get some more information. That's right. And in the Academy, and you are doing a series uh, based on uh, McGilchrist's book, in the science of psychotherapy, we're actually up to about uh, episode six, I think, coming up yeah. soon. So, so do do all uh, go into that. We won't uh, rabbit on too much more and get into this frame of the divided brain, and it is again this thing that we're we're restricted by is in this linear thinking, this and also this reductionist type of uh, thinking that we have in science, that there is a left side and there is a right side and near the twain shall meet. They do different things. You think about them separately. And, of course, that's not the case. Uh, although we're able to differentiate their frameworks, they're, they're not separate at all, for goodness sake. They seem to be stuck in the same skull, so that's a good start. Yeah, so as, as we talk about the different um, areas of the brain and the, and the two hemispheres of the brain, there will be you know, parts which sound like, oh, I really need a lot of that, and, and parts maybe of the left hemisphere that sound like, oh, we don't need much of that. But in fact, um, it's the two hemispheres working together mm -hmm. um, that bring us into a place of creativity and a place where we can manipulate the world, create machines, that sort of thing. And so it's, it's not a, uh, a competition between left and right. We need both working together. Actually, having said that, though, the corpus callosum, which connects the two hemispheres of the brain, is a little sort of place of competition because what the corpus callosum does, it connects the two hemispheres, but in such a way that the, but both sides of the brain are able to inhibit the other side. So if, yes. you've got, if you've got the right hemisphere of the brain that wants to take the lead, it will inhibit the left hemisphere through the corpus callosum so that it can take the lead. And vice versa, if the left hemisphere needs to take the lead on something, it will inhibit the right side to so that it can go ahead and uh, use more resources to do what it needs to do. And, and I think this is so important. It was one of the big revelations I had uh, years ago that when it said the corpus callosum is mostly inhibitory neurons rather than uh, flowing ones. 
But the idea is for the right hemisphere to create a framework of which we'll talk about and allow that activity then uh, and those realizations to, to flow through to the left brain to then activate what it does. And then when it gets to a, a time of not being able to function uh, without more of right brain activity, then the flow goes back. It's almost like it's a, it's the ideal is this, is this flow. I actually love the fact that when I, whenever I describe it, it's got that infinity type of, uh, that type of flow, but it's like the, the movement between them is complementary, but they don't compete against each other. And we know about this because of split brain experiments and what we have with uh, Gazzaniga and some, some of the, the work they do, where when they have to separate the, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the two hemispheres, cut the corpus callosum because of various things, epileptic fits and so on and so forth, that it is very difficult for someone when those two hemispheres operate independently because one hand can go into the wardrobe to get a, a, a blouse or a, a, a pair of trousers to wear and uh, the other hand will pick it up and put it back and pull out something else when they are disconnected. That's right. So it's this balance between connection, inhibition and production of successful, effective movement and action. That's right. That's right. That that infinity symbol. I like that. I hadn't thought mm. of it that way, but that that's no. a really nice image. And and you've just you reminded me, um, Ramachandran in his The Telltale Brain. This book has been around for a while now. Yep. This is a fantastic expose of split brain experiments that have been done, and and we can tell a lot of what what's going on with the two hemispheres um, through these interventions. But Ramachandran, he's got some great stories. Um, like that with the woman whose one hand wants to pick a one dress and another oh, hand wants oh, to pick a oh, that's where dress. that's where I got it from. This must be where I got it from. Yeah, because I love to have him. The, the Phantom Limb is some of his work. He's a, he's a wonderful uh, mm. a storyteller, but a brilliant neuroscientist. Yeah. Now, look, the one of the points that I want to bring out is that the hemispheres provide a a different attention. The nature of attention is different from both of these hemispheres. And so rather than thinking about the left hemisphere, well, it's just more mechanical and the right hemisphere, that's kind of like a bit more creative, which is a very cartoon idea about the brain, which is it doesn't quite hold together. It's better to think about the two hemispheres as just having a very different perception of the world. They're, they are in the world in a very different way. They have two fundamentally different versions of the world. Um, both of these versions have a ring of authenticity about them. They, they, they sound like they're both telling the truth about the world, but um, both are and they're very valuable, like we need both of these perceptions of the world, but they are in some very fundamental ways, they're in opposition to one another. Not, mm. not necessarily, we're not talking about a competition, we're talking about an opposition in the way that they perceive the world. Yes, so, they provide these different mechanisms and uh, Sarah Bolte-Taylor uh, in her famous uh, TED talk yes. described how she was able to do things in one particular way when her left hemisphere was online yeah. and not a, and was able to do things very differently when her right hemisphere came online and that was where they were distinguishing themselves by being totally on and off. But we do it beautifully in, in our, uh, the way we're set up, where we can put one into the background of activity and we yeah. don't 
go into terrible difficulty things like she had uh, while she was trying to telephone someone and unable to speak. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So so there's a there's a uh, a few generalizations that we can say about the hemispheres. Now the first one is that the left hemisphere tends to deal more with pieces of information in isolation and the right hemisphere deals with the whole, the gestalt, as, as it can perceive everything together. The left hemisphere, you know, it's the center of language, which is more about a sequence of words strung together. The right hemisphere is a bit more visually attuned, which is taking in the whole all at once. And so this is a this is a very fundamental generalization, but what I want to do is drill down to some, some specifics. So um, let me run through some things here. So the if the left hemisphere was a little, you know, more dominant, not the, not the, if it was the final staging post of processing, then uh, the world would be relatively mechanical. It would be an assemblage um, of more or less disconnected parts. It would be relatively abstract and disembodied. Things would not be seen in their context, um, mm. especially when we're talking about the lived world. These living things are, are difficult for the left hemisphere to grasp because it's it's always wanting to see things that are static um, and disconnected into you know little compartments, little categories. We would be relatively distanced from the feelings of others, so that this whole world of feelings are a little bit intangible to the left hemisphere. Uh, even though the left hemisphere is the the primary center for for language and and you know spoken expression, it can express things, but it, it relies on the right hemisphere to express things of feelings and connection with others. The left hemisphere would be given to explicitness, so anything that's ambiguous. Um, would not be considered or it would be sort of sidelined. Uh, it, it wants it wants to be able to grasp something that is very explicit right in front of it. It, it knows exactly what it is, where it is. Um, it's a known thing. The left hemisphere will gravitate towards what is known rather than what is unknown. And things would be considered by uh, terms of utility, so how useful it is. Um, the less left hemisphere is very concerned about the utility of everything. So that aspect sorry. of I just uh, there, sorry, Matt, just to jump in, mm. uh, as I'm thinking because a lot of work I do is impossibility and uh, those things that are sort of not yet known. So it's really um, you know the, the right hemisphere that's going to take you off into those new spaces. That's where you that's where you move out of your comfort zone, where the, the yeah. growing edge, the, you you'll be activating the right hemisphere, and that'll be uh, uh, working those areas. But then, as you grasp things, as things become uh, viable, as things become more probable, yeah. then it goes to the left hemisphere, and the left hemisphere makes uh, use of it. Uh, the yes. right hemisphere might be making meaning of it uh, because of, and there's a variety of things we can talk about with, uh, I suppose, with parietal junctions and so on and so forth. But, but that, yeah, and that left hemisphere, so that's kind of the, becomes the actor of our story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let me run through a list of features um, for each of the hemispheres. Now, okay. as we run through, now this is very unnatural. So I'm going to talk about um, the features of each hemisphere as it stands on its own. And so any normal functioning per person doesn't have, you know, just operating just out of their left hemisphere or just out of their right hemisphere. So, um, but what this does highlight, um, and this again comes from split brain research, um, is the very different natures of the left and the right hemisphere. 
So here we go. So let's start with the left hemisphere. Now, the left hemisphere has less white matter. So these are the um, myelinated neurons, which are like superhighways between areas of the brain. So with less white matter, there is a prioritizing of local information transfer within regions within that hemisphere. And it's reflected in an increase in ability to localize attention and enhancing its self-referring nature. So it's self-referential. More reliant on dopamine than is the right hemisphere. The left hemisphere is superior in the expression of anger. So it's much better at being angry. Mm. Um, it's, it's highly focused on attention to detail, which we've just been talking about. It has local, narrowly focused attention. It sees parts. And this narrow field of view also tends to want to just see the right side of things. So the right side of the body, the right side of objects. Um, and this is called hemi-neglect, and it's a fascinating thing. If, if someone is just operating out of their left hemisphere and you get them to draw the picture of the face of a clock, they'll only, they'll only draw the right side of it. Or if you get them to draw a person, they'll just draw the right side of the person. And you can see this in, in young kids sometimes that, that have sort of some developmental difficulties. We mm-hmm. know of a family and that were called not being able to cross the midline. Right. And so there were a lot of activities where they would take things from one side and put to the other to try and wake up these uh, these these connections. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's someone, um, you know, operating just out of the left hemisphere, if they're reading a book, they'll only be able to read you know, half the page because uh, their left hemisphere is refusing to <laughs> acknowledge well, that, that, the left that'll, side. That'll speed things up, won't it? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Gone with the wind is gone in, the, in half the time. <laughs> <laughs> now, the left hemisphere is more engaged with the known, the learned, the expected. It prefers what it knows and what it can grasp, like I said before, uh, what's in focus, and it prioritizes these things. And it's very efficient when it comes to routine and when it's predictable routine and it finds solutions that best fit with its current knowledge or its current schemas. So not too good at thinking outside of the box. Yeah, so liking um, that familiarity. So that, so when you get uh, really stuck in your familiarity, sort of unsure, and you really want to go back to what's usual, you, you'll be using your left hemisphere yeah. and perhaps even being a bit stuck in the left hemisphere in that, in that sort of frame. Possibly so. The left hemisphere also will actually suppress information that's not immediately relevant to the to the highly focused task that you're you're doing. So, which you know you want to screen out, you know, distractions, and the left hemisphere is very good at that. Um, and so, as we talked about the corpus callosum, you know, it's it's part of its role is to for one hemisphere to suppress the other. So the left hemisphere suppresses the right hemisphere and its ability to make distant associations amongst words and objects while the left hemisphere is engaged in a task. If your um, you know, mind starts to wander when you're trying to focus on a task, that's, that's the left hemisphere's you know, lack of suppressing the right hemisphere's you know, wandering nature. <laughs> So what else have we got here with the left hemisphere? So it takes a local short-term view of things. It identifies things by labels rather than seeing things within a context. So it decontextualizes things. So it is very good at abstraction. It likes to be able to take pluck things out of the context that they come from 
uh, and be able to see them in a more simplified, abstract way. This is this is akin to a map. You know, if you if you look out uh, across a landscape, um, and then you look down at the map of that same landscape, the map is an abstraction. It's much more simplified. It's got just the specific details that you need um, to get around the landscape. Um, and so a very different thing to the landscape. But both looking out at the landscape and looking down at the map, you're looking at sort of a similar thing, but you have very different views of them. And, and so again, this is a good metaphor for left and right hemispheres. Now, the left hemisphere... You know, it recognizes objects in categories, as we as we said, but in very non-specific ways. So uniqueness, um, as best as it can, it will it will get rid of uniqueness, and it wants to categorize things in generic terms because that's just easier to manipulate, it's easier to grasp. Mm. Um, it codes non-living things, and it has an affinity for uh, the mechanical, the non-living, because living things, you know, they're a little bit. Harder to grasp, you know. They're, 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 they're tricky, yes. <laughs> they're tricky. <laughs> especially, especially when you when you consider them as a whole, like a person. You know, they they're very difficult to categorize. Well, that's that's interesting. So we so it's the left hemisphere that's reducing people down into mm-hmm. sort of these mechanical type of perceptions. But when we're uh, anthropomorphizing for animals and things, that's really our right hemisphere is is expanding uh, expanding out and and imagine a fanciful imagination there, isn't it? Okay, yeah. that's yeah. interesting. The left hemisphere also, um, it's interested in the utility of things, like we said before, machines, tools, man-made things. If if it's going to consider a thing, if it's a living thing or a non-living thing, one of the first things that comes to mind to the to the left hemisphere is what is it useful for? How can we make use of it? Um, that's that's sort of top priority for the left hemisphere, and that's why the left hemisphere is so good at manipulating the world and creating machines, tools, things like that. Um, all has to do with what are we getting out of this manipulation. So yeah, and enabling know. us to navigate through the environment too, I suppose, by Absolutely. finding the pathways and the, the 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 patterns. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, the left hemisphere um, is the center of language. It's very sophisticated in uh, language and and symbol manipulation. Um, it has a much greater vocabulary than the almost silent right hemisphere and it has a it carries a much more complex you know syntax and so richard you're you're an expert in language yes um, and yes, so all this stuff the the generative grammar and things and all yeah. these frameworks that actually take the symbol symbolic representations in language and and allows them to produce some uh representations of our uh, of, of our mentalizing our uh, our mindscape uh, yeah. yeah so this a lot of this is the left yeah yeah and what's really interesting about that is that the left hemisphere really doesn't grasp metaphor like the right hemisphere. Yeah. Even though it has a more sophisticated language, uh, metaphor, even, you know, even humor, you know, the right hemisphere um, has a much greater appreciation for metaphor and humor than does the left. Well, this is it. I mean, metaphor uh, requires visualization and and uh, imagery, and also having other uh, uh, ad, uh, sort of sensorial frameworks. 
to the language. So this, and this is where you would have that flow. Sort of, you have those words, and then flowing over for the for the uh, other aspects of the metaphor, and then flowing back to the words and flowing. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, in a nutshell, that's you know some of the characteristics of the left hemisphere, and. If we were talking before about, you know, some of the stories of, you know, people that uh, have, you know, been operating out of the left hemisphere and some of the strange things that can happen. And uh, one of those things, it's called intermanual conflict. And this is where the the right hand, you know, has got its own mind and the left hand has as well. And quite literally, they do if the hemispheres are split. And so the story of the lady, you know, who she, she's driving and the left hand comes to take over the steering wheel from the right hand or the, the left and right hand want to choose different dresses, um, you know, out of the, out of the closet uh, can make life terribly interesting. That's, that's, that's very, very testing. And, and uh, I imagine they're very grateful not to have the, the debilitating uh, epileptic fits that they had before, but it does. Uh, so all these things that we do uh, in relation both by intervention through operations and things, but also the sorts of things that happen by uh, by injury, by stroke, yeah. uh, by those sorts of damage and uh, various other uh, pathological problems result in some of these behaviours. And uh, and I remember they, they, they talked about this, that we learn, Joseph Ledoux talked about it in one of the talks, we, we learn so much about the brain by people who have deficits, they have damage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we start to say, oh, well, because you haven't got that, that area, this mm. this is um, informing us. So you know, uh, uh, you know, as we know with hippocampus, when the um, those various uh, experiments, and so we've seen this in the the hemispheric uh, uh, division of labour uh, through these damage to the corpus callosum. How interesting! Absolutely, yeah. Look. Uh, you've just reminded me that the left hemisphere, it will think that it's right all the time and it will make things up. So this confabulation that occurs particularly in older, you know, Alzheimer's and, and dementia, but also occurs through life as well in a, a in a surprising way for people. Like that's, they just make right. things make sense. That's right. So, and th- this is this is a core attribute of the left hemisphere. Um, it it really thinks that it is right all the time. And if it doesn't know something, it will just make something up and be convinced that whatever it's made up is correct. And there's some really funny stories. Again, Ramachandran in his book has some some funny stories. Um, and Ian McGilchrist as well in his book, which I haven't mentioned yet on this particular episode. So The Master and His Emissary. Yes. Right. The Divided Brain and the Making of the Western World. Um, fabulous book. Uh, he's got some amazing stories in there. It's a big read. Uh, it's, you know, it's 500 odd pages, um, but but well worth your time if you're interested in this area. Have you got a quick one for us but, but, so I don't have to go and have to read everything? <laughs> well, um, so one of the, going back to hemi-neglect. Right. Um, and so there's count, there's a lot of stories about patients who will claim that there's a hand, you know, in the bed with me and it's not my hand. And of course it is their hand, um, but it happens to be on the left side, which the left hemisphere is choosing to ignore. And they will come up with all sorts of Oh yes, I remember that. There was a one was saying, and that's a part of this thing of ignoring injuries as well. So you yes. had a stroke, and, and uh, uh, my I remember there was one Ramachandran talk 
talked about where the patient said, oh, no, that's my brother-in-law's arm. Yes, yes. Yes. And, 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 and they said, where's your brother-in-law? <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so it became very complicated and, and confusing for the patient. Yeah. 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 And some of the stories to try and make sense of the world can be extremely complex and um, very interestingly, very similar to schizophrenia. And so we'll, okay. I won't go there because mm. we'll talk about this further down the track, but there is a lot of left hemispheric characteristics that we see in schizophrenia as well, which is which is really interesting. Um, now, look, time is getting away from us. Uh, let me quickly, very quickly go through a list of right hemisphere characteristics just so we can appreciate Well, we've difference. been talking quite a bit about it. So, so just list them out so we get them in uh, in, in a left hemispheric sort of uh, <laughs> yes. differentiation. Yeah. My, my left hemisphere needs to get these out. Okay, right, so, this right hemisphere stuff out, okay. All right, so um, right hemisphere, more white matter, so more global across regions communication. So, And that makes sense, right, because the right hemisphere is looking at holistic things. It appreciates the whole and even on a neural architectural level, it is actually um, you know communicating between regions more holistically. So there's some differences in um, neurochemicals. So it's more sensitive to te testosterone, to noradrenaline. The right hemisphere more intimately connected with the limbic system. So it has um, it identifies and can express emotions faster and more accurately than does the left. Um, so that that whole area of emotional expression. And of course, you know, in psychotherapy, we, we are very much appreciate the right brain to right brain attunement. You know, that's because the, the right hemisphere does have a faster appreciation of what's going on in the limbic system in the emotional part of the brain. So the right hemisphere is more open to broad awareness. Um, it's on the lookout. Um, and it's more vigilant to what's going on around in the environment, um, in the peripheral, um, whereas the left hemisphere is a bit more focused on a single thing. The right hemisphere is a bit more open. Uh, the right hemisphere is more alert to the novel and the new, the things that it can't necessarily explain. So it has a tolerance for things that are intangible. It can outpredict the left when it comes to things that we don't necessarily have a grasp of. Um, the right hemisphere is better at making a good guess at what might be coming up. It can associate uh, words or objects that are not closely related. So the left hemisphere likes to have things in categorized um, and it will relate things that are obviously closely related, whereas the right hemisphere is a little bit more creative in what it can connect to what else. It's the right hemisphere is better able to integrate perceptual processes from different senses. Uh, right hemisphere has a longer working memory than the left. It rec recognizes broad and complex patterns. So when we talk about complexity, complexity theory and appreciating the complexity of, of who we are and our relationships, that's the right hemisphere has, has got that. That's interesting. So, so this the, when we talk about uh, thinking in the system, in the complex system, that's where you really need to have this uh, integrative flow uh, between where you take these broader concepts and these broader aspects yeah. and then interpret them into details and functions. Oh, that's interesting. So it's a, it's a yeah. more balanced way of thinking, whereas linear thinking, you can actually sit more uh, in the left hemisphere for the whole process and not... And so you... you 
yeah, I suppose you um, uh, diminish yourself by not being uh, able, not opening up and having the accessibility to right hemisphere type of uh, uh, contributions to the to the ideas. Ab- absolutely, and in you know insight, um, deductive reasoning, you know these these sort of creative pulling the threads together. That's in the realm of the right hemisphere mm-hmm. more than the left. Um, and of course, the right hemisphere sees, sees everything within a context. You know, everything is related. Everything is embedded in the world in a context. Whereas the left hemisphere likes to strip every all the context away so that it can just focus on the on the thing. Yes, it's so, interesting. I was just I was just writing a piece, and, and uh, I'm thinking back. And what I did was uh, I would describe the context. Because people right. are reading, so they're using very much left hemisphere stuff. Uh, and I would describe the the nature of the context, and then I would say, uh, I would say a couple of times I did this, and in that context, so now I've got you to understand. I've painted the broader picture. Uh, I'm basically saying to them, now don't don't limit yourself to what you're aware of. Please look at the five things that I've just described to you. How yeah. how interesting. Yeah. 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 Now the right hemisphere also um, it looks at you as a, as an individual as well. Um, so when I look at you, Richard, I don't see a generic. You're a generic human. I see you as Richard, Richard right. Hill, with all of your complexity and uniqueness. Um, whereas, <laughs> Thank you. Nicely put. Yeah. Whereas, whereas my left hemisphere would categorize you, you know, as a, you know, white. Male, all of these different categories. Grey-haired old bastard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, but but that's the one. So the left hemisphere is sort of seeing, uh, yeah, the the colour of my eyes and the the shape of my mouth and so on and so forth. That's right. And perhaps even isolating itself to that. You might the left hemisphere is finding that blemish. I uh, (laughs) right. Yes. (laughs) That I might have on my uh, where I cut myself shaving. Whereas the right hemisphere is seeing uh, Richard with with an injury perhaps, something more sympathetic. Well, it's looking for the personal and it's looking for things that are are living and relating. So it's Mm -hmm. it's about relationships rather than um, decontextualized things, Mm -hmm. you know, abstractions. Uh, So the right hemisphere also is connected with... uh, more connected with the self as an embodied whole. So not only are we appreci- I'm appreciating you as a unique Richard Hill, but I'm also have an appreciation of myself um, and in touch with that sense of self. And as we said earlier, the right hemisphere, you know, has this unique ability to appreciate metaphor, humor, um, sarcasm, and things that the um, left hemisphere. Um, really struggles with, really struggles to make the connection. When we're talking about um, um, depth, uh, time, space, there's a whole lot of, and we, uh, we can talk about this in more detail when we talk about schizophrenia, um, but there is an appreciation of of time and space and depth that the left hemisphere um, doesn't have so that's the right hemisphere that has a, an appreciation not only of the of the world as a whole in the moment but also as something that is traveling through time and has a depth in not only depth in the 3d world but a depth across time and space 
Wow. And you, you think to Einstein back there, uh, imagining himself sitting on, on a, a, a light particle <laughs> uh, and traveling from the sun to the earth and doing that, uh, that imaginative uh, process, then coming down, which is obviously a predominantly right hemisphere, yeah. then coming down, getting out a piece of chalk on a blackboard and sitting down and laboriously working through the specifics, the details, the, the mathematics, the, uh, the structure. And voila, you know, we come up with uh, theories of, of light and all kinds of extraordinary stuff. I, I, I think it was, uh, he, he was in an elevator that used to bump and landed very roughly. And that was part of what stimulated him to think of his theories of gravity because he could become heavier and lighter depending on the 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 surrounding aspects of acceleration and blah blah blah. Yeah. blah, blah. I was getting out of my own, <laughs> getting above my own head now. Yeah. But he would sit down and put that. It was when he put it onto the the blackboard and when mm -hmm. it became the detail, then we were able to construct with it. What a great example of of both hemispheres working together. That creative, you know, seeing the whole, um, but then his capacity, you know, obviously, you know, to break things down and to, you know, to put them into uh, a, a physics formula and that sort of mm. thing as well. And then, of course, his end formula of gravity and uh, uh, relativity, mm. that then went back into the right hemispheres and was then became a new inventive creative stimulus. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. An, that's the, the you know the flow back again and new people uh, new people coming up with uh, incredible imaginations of how the universe was created based on based on that. It's just yeah. a when it flows, it keeps growing. Yeah. But when it sits yeah. in one hemisphere there or the other, then it becomes uh, uh, rigid. Yeah. I guess. Fantastic. Look, such an interesting field, and and one of the things that you know, we, we want to bring out is that, that there can be, and this is, you know, Ian McCulchris' um, hypothesis that there is a, a, a shift toward the left hemisphere uh, or a shift, you know, towards the right hemisphere. Neither is healthy. We need to be sort of in, in the middle where both hemispheres are operating equally well. There is uh, his argument is that the Western world at the moment is is sort of shifted towards the left hemisphere thinking, which isn't altogether healthy. And if you understand how the different hemispheres experience the world, you'll be able to identify in your clients if they are a little bit more left-centric or right-centric. And there are things that we can do to sort of bring things back into balance. So, um, and, and of course, you know, we, we talk more about this uh, in the academy and in our book. And uh, we hope you're inspired enough to look more into these things. And not only our book, but uh, The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist, um, Ramachandran in his The Telltale Brain. Lots of resources for you to get into. Fantastic. Well, what a what a great ride. Thanks for for all that stuff and and you know showing us those two sides. And uh, I mean, I just sort of jumped in and had uh, you know, <laughs> realizations, but it was I was going, oh wow, yeah, hey this, hey that, and yeah. uh, uh, so wonderful. Thanks, Matt. That's really good. But for now, I awesome. think it's time for us to sign off. Okay. Thanks for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.